Joe Biden took the train from Delaware to Washington when he was a United States senator and once in a while when he was vice president. Now he's president of the United States and Kamala Harris is his vice president. And we're not talking about the trains in East Palestine right now. We're talking about the train in Washington, D.C. And uh, the second gentleman is what he's called, the vice president's husband, uh, went on an interview and talked about toxic masculinity. Here's what he said. Can we just talk about masculinity for a moment? Um, has being second gentleman changed your own view of perceived gender roles or what it means to be a man? Oof, that's, this is something I've, I've thought about a lot and something I've spoken about a lot. There's too much of toxicity. It's masculine toxicity out there, and we've kind of confused what it means to be a man, what it means to be masculine. Mm -hmm. Cindy Watson is a women's empowerment coach and the founder of Women on Purpose. She's written a book, too, called The Art of Feminine Negotiation, and back on our AT&T line. Thank you for being with us on the radio stage. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Michael. Uh, Can you explain what that all means to me? Well, I mean, a couple of things jumped out at me when I heard the quote. And one, I love that he acknowledged that we're confused about what it means to be a man, because we're in a period of transition. So a certain amount of confusion is to be expected as we're pushing back against those gender norms. And, you know, uh, a certain amount of pushback is to be expected. But I noticed the interesting choice of language he used. We always were hearing a lot of buzz about toxic masculinity, but it was interesting to me that he called it masculine toxicity. And a lot of people would say that's a distinction without a difference, but I think it, I think it's an important distinction because he's saying it's not masculinity that is toxic. It's not that men are toxic. It's the toxicity that's the problem, not masculinity. So it's all about those unconscious gender biases, which we normally always think when we talk about that, that it's bias against women, but it's also biases vis-a-vis men. Uh, you know, I mean, Michael, the perceived gender roles, the perceived gender traits, and just really quickly, they've done studies with young boys where they call it the man box study, and they draw a square on the board and they say to young boys, what qualities do you think should go in the man box and what qualities don't belong in a man box? And still today, young boys are saying, you know, strong, brave, you don't cry, you know, tough, the provider, all of those things that young boys still recognize should be in the man box, but gentle or caring, they're all things that are outside of the man box. So I think that's what uh, Second Gentleman Emhoff is speaking to. And where do you think they came up with those perceptions? Yeah, I think we've got this layered-on generational conditioning. And, you know, we're just starting to raise awareness now, but because of that, we're getting a lot of pushback. So I think there's got to be a lot of confusion for, um, you know, certainly for the older generation of males, and I think also for the younger generation coming. You know, on the one hand, they're getting that messaging that you do not show emotions or vulnerability. And, in fact, to be a man is anti-femininity. It was... uh you know, success is defined as a competition, winner take all, toughness carries the day. We confuse assertive with aggressive, that need to dominate. Uh, you know, it was one of the things that prompted me, frankly, to write the Art of Feminine Negotiation was like, geez, we got to flip the script and start, stop seeing our feminine for both men and women as a liability and instead bring our masculine and feminine energies back into balance. Is it possible that those characteristics are actually biologically factual? 
Yeah, a great question. And I, I think it's uh, an interesting debate that goes on now. There's no question there are certain like neural pathway differences between men and women, how our brains work and process information. Obviously, there's certain physiological differences as well. Um, but more and more, the studies are pretty consistently showing that these traits, these qualities, like being compassionate or nurturing, um, just, you know, more collaborative approaches, bringing empathy to the table, you know, all of the things I advocate in the art of feminine negotiation, these are more conditions, societal conditioning. And certainly in my 30 years as a practice, as a, as a lawyer, you know, I've seen, um, I've seen this over and over again where often there are women who don't bring any empathy to the table, whereas men can be, you know, exceptional at being rapport building. And I'll share, like, even with my husband, to be honest, we had uh, an issue where we moved up north unexpectedly, and, uh, you know, it was a whole uh, comedy of errors, but I had to travel back and forth to the city to maintain my law firm, so my husband stayed home with the kids during that transition. And i got to tell you, Michael, this was a man when I married him, like, absolute epitome of confidence, so secure in his masculinity, but his friends started calling him Mr. Mom, and... And, and worse, frankly, things I can't repeat on your radio show for your listeners' delicate ears. But it profoundly affected my husband's sense of self and really shifted who he showed up with. And he had a hard time uh, sort of coming out of that. So I think we're still seeing a lot of very, very deep conditioning about what it means to be a man and a woman. I read here that Boris Johnson, who was the UK prime minister, said that if Vladimir Putin were a woman, the war <laughs> likely would not have started. Now, I don't know where he got that idea, but he hasn't been around the women I've been around. <laughs> Although it's interesting you say that, because if you notice during COVID, there was a lot of talk about the fact that the countries who had female leaders uh, fared better during COVID. And I never get into the mock about whether that's true or not. But I think it's interesting because at the very least, the value of feminine stock went up. I think for the first time, people started seeing so-called feminine qualities or traits as actually being important traits for leadership, whereas previously they were not. They were seen as a liability. Um, so I think that was a really nice shift. But just to be clear, well, I get a lot of pushback about using the word feminine in my book. And I did it intentionally just to raise awareness, but these aren't gender-based issues. We all have masculine and feminine energy. We all have the capacity to tap into those so-called feminine or masculine traits. We've just been conditioned. When people are studied, still today, you know, the Athena Doctrine studied over 60,000 people across 60 countries, and when they put certain traits to them, like compassion or vulnerability or honesty, integrity even, people consistently would characterize those as either masculine, feminine, or neutral, and in pretty consistent numbers. So we've got to start flipping that paradigm if we're going to really make a shift. Today you sounded very sweet and very strong, okay? We're all square on that, all right? Is that good? <laughs> <laughs> the well, book my... is The Art of Feminine Negotiation by Cindy Watson, and you can get it wherever books are sold.